seated. Welcome once again to our uh, Sunday morning service, 11 a.m. here. It's the main service. We have two services in case you didn't know. We also have a Saturday afternoon service which meets upstairs in the multi-purpose hall. It's a little bit more contemporary in terms of its uh, um, structure and the way it's done. Uh, but it's open and welcome. all are welcome to join that if you find Saturday is a better timing for you. Uh, nonetheless, I'm grateful that you are here. And as I said at the beginning of the service, we've now entered into the season of Lent. And Lent is a time in which uh, the church sets aside 40 days. Now, they don't count Sundays, which is why if you count from the Ash Wednesday until Good Friday, there are 40 days. If you don't count Sundays, which are days of celebration... But uh, through the season of Lent, as we had read in the Gospel, it's um, like walking in the footsteps of Jesus. You know, as He Himself went through 40 days of fasting, you know, the church is encouraged also to set aside this time for, for fasting, for prayer, and for giving of ourselves to the Lord and all that entails. Um, and in this season of Lent, I've decided to do a series in the Psalms. Uh, because it's not often that we actually uh, study the Psalms. The Psalms are very important, actually. Uh, like I was mentioning, most of the time we would actually be doing Psalms every week, you know, using it as a way to respond to the text. You know, the Psalms were Israel's hymnal. They are really the, the, the songbook or the prayer book that's inspired of God. And there's a big difference because most of the time when we read the Word of God, we hear it as God speaking to us. But in the Psalms, not only is God speaking to us, it's also recorded how man speaks to God, how we offer up our prayers to Him. And you know, for that reason alone, it's important to study the Psalms. If you were here in service last week, or if you joined us over the live stream, or you took the time and trouble to listen to last week's sermon, you know, I pointed out that in terms of discipleship, discipleship is about transformation. It's about becoming like Jesus, not be, just behaving like Jesus. So oftentimes we are uh, more um, 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 concerned in discipleship about you know, growing in terms of information. So teaching is important. And teaching is important, but if teaching alone does not make a disciple, or sometimes we are interested in how we behave, the spiritual disciplines, whether you know, we, we behave in a way that is uh, an habit, form the spiritual habits that are necessary for a Christian. Again, these things are important, but if that's all we pursue, that's not discipleship. True discipleship is transformation. I shared with you from uh, that theme verse uh, in 2 Corinthians 3.18 where it says, And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image of, from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. And, you know, we want to see Jesus we want to have an encounter with Him. And one of the best ways, I think, for that to happen is through reading the Psalms. And uh, the reason we're reading through or, or studying the Psalms through the season of Lent is because we want to learn how to live a life of praise in the midst of trials under the blessings of God's King, that is Jesus. And if, if there's a theme verse to guide us through this uh, series, it's found in Psalm 71 verse 14. But I will hope continually and will praise you yet more and more. If you read the whole psalm, you realize, you know, the psalmist was in great trouble. And yet in the midst of trouble, he had learned and he had um, um, 
the, the attitude in which I will continually place my hope in God. And despite the circumstance, even in the midst of the circumstance, I will praise God more and more. And I think the Psalms help us do that. And especially, you know, if you think about it, you know that Jesus used the Psalms a lot in his own devotional life. These are the prayers that he would pray. These are the songs he would sing. We know this because if you read through the Gospels, he quotes the Psalms time and time again. You know, it's, he, he breathes it. Like even on the cross, he cries out using the words of Psalm uh, 22, right? And, and, and this, the, he, he's so steeped in it that, you know, as, as uh, he, he's in agony, that's where his mind goes to. And if we want to become like Jesus, we too should really immerse ourselves in the Psalms. I was admitting yesterday, and I don't know, now it's recorded. Maybe the bishop will hear, so shh, don't tell him. <laughs> we, we are encouraged as clergy, after we are ordained, you know, to say the daily offices, to do morning prayer and evening prayer every day, uh, Monday through Saturday. Sunday, you know, we are relieved because we do principal service on, on Sunday. But if you follow the um, uh, morning prayer and evening prayer in the Book of Common Prayer, and you did all the readings, do you realize that you read through the book of Psalms, all 150 uh, uh, chapters of the book of Psalms in 30 days, in one month, because the Psalms you do in the morning, Psalms you do in the afternoon, and you do this six days a week. Within the space of 30 days, you completely read through the book of Psalms. Because uh, Thomas Cramer, when he wrote it, understood how formational these Psalms can be. You know, they express the desires of our heart. You know, you, you can read some of them. You know, even the anger comes out and the Lord receives that anger and He understands. But then the Lord also replies and He speaks. And this Psalm 91, I think, is a wonderful example of that. And I want to uh, uh, delve into it. You know, it's kind of, I think, um, uh, interesting that we are at this point because many of you remember when the pandemic first started. This is a Psalm that many of us went to. It's a psalm that we were taught to pray because in particular, you know, there are verses there which talk about pestilence. For example, verse 3, For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. And again in verse 6, Nor the pest, you know, we fear nothing. We don't fear what happens at night, but we also don't fear the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. And I think it's great as we exit the pandemic because we are coming to the end, you know, praise the Lord. Yeah. Not only good things come to an end, bad things also must come to an end. Uh, we are coming out of it, but I think Psalm 91 remains a, a wonderful psalm for us to hold close to our hearts. And I want to take some time to look at it. Starting from verses 1 and 2. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. And really, you see, the psalmist is making an invitation. He's making a declaration. He is acknowledging that ultimately our trust must be in God. That's the only hope any of us have. That God is not only our shelter, He's our shadow. In fact, it's pointing to the fact that there's a picture later on, and we'll, we'll see it, of as if God is like a mother hen stretching out her wings to cover her children, you know, to, to protect and, and um, provide shelter and shade, and to make sure that no harm befalls, and that God is our refuge and our fortress. 
But then the psalmist goes on to point out all the dangers that are about us and all that God does to deliver and His promise of deliverance. He says, For He will deliver you from the snare of the fowler, from the traps of the uh, person who traps birds, and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with His pinions or His feathers, and under His wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. And as you see and you read through this, you know, the promise is there and it's, you know, what we cling to and what we say, yes and amen. God will deliver. He will cover. He will, you will not fear. It will not come near you. And ultimately, it ends the, that justice will be served, that the wicked will receive their just rewards, right? Because that's what we cry out, Lord, you know, make sure that uh, justice is served, that if I've been unjustly treated, those who have treated me unjustly will f- reap their reward. And, and the, the Lord will wreak uh, His judgment upon them. And if that's not enough, actually it's like, repeat. <laughs> Verse 9, he continues, Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, and the Most High who is my refuge, no evil will be allowed to befall you, no plague will come near your tent. For He will command His angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot on a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. In other words, He's saying there is no evil that you need to concern yourself with. right? That the plague won't come near your tent. That's why we prayed it at the start of the pandemic. That, uh, um, you know, God's miraculous deliverance, that His angels will have guard over you, that He will lift you up, you know, preventing harm from befalling you. And ultimately, that there is victory, real victory, not just against physical threats, but spiritual as well. The lion and the serpent, the serpent, of course, reminds us of Satan and his, you know, um, dastardly deeds and the things that he does. This is a wonderful psalm. It's no wonder we began praying it at the start of the pandemic. But as we come to the end of it, I wonder if you've ever stopped to think about it. Many of us as Christians have prayed it. And yet, we may ask ourselves the question, where was the Lord's deliverance when I really needed it? There may be times we would say, I trusted in God, but I still got covid Never mind, we recovered from COVID. But we know of people, Christians, brothers and sisters in Christ, who had firmly believed in God, done all that they could, but still perished from the pestilence. A question that may still turn in some of our minds is this. Is God still trustworthy, despite the fact that we face all these things, despite the fact that we place our trust in Him? 
You know, it's funny because as I was reading the commentaries and doing my study of this psalm, uh, I know that many people, when they prayed this psalm at the start, sort of turned it into a, a, almost a superstitious sort of incantation. But apparently, it's not just Christians who do it. Even the Jews uh, did as well. M- many Jews would take bits of this uh, psalm, turn it into amulets, and then you know, wrap it around themselves as if you, you want to ward off evil, so you just carry that, those scriptures with you. And, and I remember uh, someone who was claiming it, you know, 10,000 will fall by my side, but it will not come near me, right? And, 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 and she was proclaiming it and declaring it. And I understand where it comes from. You know, um, in fact, that, that verse which was read from the New Testament reading in Romans, where it says, the word is near you in your mouth and in your heart, that is the word of faith that we proclaim. When I uh, did my undergraduate studies, I did it in Oral Roberts University, and you know the Word of Faith is a movement that uh, was rampant in that place. Right? It, it, it's very much a, a charismatic uh, uh, um, uh, uh, peculiarity of Christianity, and uh, the, the the Word of Faith really is the um, um, where we trace the roots of the prosperity gospel. It's this uh, understanding that if you name it, you can claim it. That if you confess with your mouth, right, it's something that you can uh, achieve. And in some ways, you know, this uh, um, type of superstitious manipulation of Scripture is precisely what's in view when we read the uh, Gospel reading in the Temptation of Christ. Right, if verses 11 and 12 sounded familiar, it's because you saw, right, uh, in... um, yeah, I put it up on the screen even better rather than trying to do it from memory. I forgot yesterday, today I remembered. And in verses 9 and 12, you know, the last of the temptations that Jesus encountered, that Satan took Jesus to Jerusalem, set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written. Interestingly, right, because the first two times, every time Satan tempted him, what was Jesus' reply? It is written. So now Satan also can use scripture, okay? He takes uh, Psalm 91 verses 11 and 12 and he says, He will give, command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus replied to him, It is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. You see, just because we know Scripture and we can quote it, it's actually not enough. The Bible tells us Satan can too. In fact, in James' epistle, he says the demons believe and they shudder. <laughs> you know, just because you say you believe and you know, is not enough. Something else must be taking place in our uh, discipleship, in our, uh, uh, you know, taking in the Word and learning to trust and obey God's Word. James Mays, who also wrote a, a famous commentary in the Psalms, when coming to these uh, two verses, he says this in uh, talking about its relationship to the temptation of Christ. He points out that the temptation was to take the promised protection of God. This is a temptation that Satan was bringing to Jesus. The temptation was to take the promised protection of God into the control of his own will and act. That would have shifted the power of the promise from the free sovereignty of God 
to individual willfulness. Jesus saw that that as a way to test God, not as a way of trust. Real trust does not seek to test God or to prove His faithfulness. In other words, what he's saying is what Satan was tempting Jesus to do is to take your own life into your own hands for you to control how God relates to you. You know, and how often does this happen? That even as Christians, there's this uh, um, deep temptation for us to try and manipulate God and to manipulate the things of God. For this tendency for us to try and pull the levers so that we can make God do what we want Him to do. That's the problem with this name it and claim it, you know, that therefore I do these things, I say these things, God has to act as I desire, not as He wills and is sovereignly declaring. That's where we go wrong. We treat God like a cosmic vending machine. I put in my money, I get my product. I press the right buttons, I get what I want. And nothing could be further from what this psalm is trying to express. This psalm tells us that we place our trust in God. We don't test Him. We take Him at His word, and no matter what happens, we believe Him. See, you stop and you think about it. This mentality of trying to manipulate God has a sort of a philosophy that says, if only, you know, if I want the secret of success, it's I must do these things. If only I would trust more. If only I would work harder, both at the job and also at my Christian life. If only I would obey better, and life will run smoothly. Then I can have my best life now. Then everything happens the way it should happen. But that doesn't quite gel with reality, does it? It certainly didn't gel with Jesus. Think about it. Jesus was the one who trusted totally. He was the one who worked tirelessly. I mean, you see accounts of how he's so tired, he falls asleep in the boat, even in the great storm. And he is the only one who obeyed perfectly. And yet, we see this, right, in uh, Luke 4, 1 and 2, 1 verses 1. 1 and 2. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days. But at the end of it, he was tempted by Satan. That despite his uh, total obedience, his life wasn't smooth. He faced trials and temptations of many kinds. And uh, just an, an aside, you know in uh, Luke's Gospel, it's not quite direct because there's an interlude where it, the genealogy of Jesus is. But you read just a few verses before in uh, chapter 3, you will see it's the account of Jesus' baptism. right? And at the baptism, as He arose from the water, a dove descended upon Him and the voice from heaven says, You are my beloved Son and with you I am well pleased. Isn't it interesting that Satan's temptation to Jesus was, do you believe what God said? Do you take him at his word? He said, you are my son. And Satan said, if you are the son, why don't you jump? I think those are the types of temptations we face all the time. Will we take God at his word? This is Satan's uh, 
strategy time immemorial, right from the garden. Right? Did God really say that if you eat of this fruit of this tree, you will die? If you are the son of God, why don't you? And you know, all the time we are we, we, we will run up against Satan, we will run up against the world, we will run up against the desires of our flesh, which run counter to the Word of God, which run counter to the things of God, that we are going to be constantly tempted to choose our own way. And the way in which we overcome, the way in which Jesus overcame the lies of Satan is by the truth of God's Word. You know, which is why it's so important that we immerse ourselves in His Word. Why we are a church that believes in the primacy of the Word of God. Why we teach it and we preach it and, you know, we encourage people to read it time and time again. But let's get back to the psalm. This is the assurance the psalm ends because the, the first 13 verses is basically first person, second person. Right? I will and you will. And it's, it's looking at it from the individual's perspective. But suddenly, in verse 14, it is God speaking to the psalmist or to the people of God through the psalmist. And He says, Because he, hold fast, he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. As with all psalms, I believe every psalm at the end of the day does point us to God's plan for salvation found in Jesus Christ. That ultimately, when we call, he answers. When we are in trouble, he rescues. And we see that primarily done in the work on the cross. Because on that cross, Jesus secured for us not just long life, but eternal life. And in Him, we find ultimate satisfaction. In His finished work, we are saved. It reminds us, the Word of God reminds us of God's faithfulness. That's what the uh, reading in Deuteronomy was doing, you know, Moses was telling the people of God, remember how God has delivered you? Remember what He did when you were, found yourself in slavery in Egypt and you cried out for help? God answered and He delivered. You know, it's to teach us to have uh, this attitude of gratitude. Deuteronomy itself was talking about offering, that our offering is, our first fruits is an acknowledgement that everything we have comes from Him, that we give back to Him because we are so grateful for what He's given to us. That's why we celebrate the Eucharist, right? It's, it's, it's a good grace. It's, it's giving thanks for what God did on the cross for us. It reminds us of His body broken for us. It reminds us that as He hung on that cross, His blood was shed for us. You know, as we come to the tail end of the pandemic, many of us have experienced it in different ways. There are some amongst us, I know for a fact, because I talk to you, hey, how are things are going? And then you'll tell me about it, you know, and they are saying, it's, it's great. Actually, you know, I, I'm very grateful for the pandemic because you're working from home is such a refreshing thing. 
you know, and, and they, they find it, it's a joy, their business is doing well, you know, in fact, their profits have gone up uh, through this time and uh, they get big bonuses and they're very, very happy. But as I talk to others, this pandemic has been a very challenging time because the particular industry they may be in hasn't done well, that they've been hit very hard. There are others, even though their, their, their businesses or their, their companies are doing well, they find that their life is not doing well. <laughs> you know, I, I find it myself. Sometimes working from home means there are no boundaries. You don't know where work stops and life begins, you know. <laughs> so work-life balance is thrown out of whack. And uh, in fact, I, I know for a fact that many people struggle with mental health challenges. Uh, by the way, if you haven't heard, we are having a, a, a tea talk this coming Saturday. Uh, on mental health, and we're pr bringing in an expert, a Christian doctor, a, a psychiatrist, to talk about uh, mental health. And I hope you will avail yourself of it, but I better not spend too much time on that. Uh, Evangeline, I think we'll talk about it later, is it? Are you doing the announcements? Yeah, she will. But nonetheless, you know, the reality is, even if we didn't face trials and troubles in the pandemic, we know that if you are going to live life, that's going to become an in in inevitability. Which is why Psalm 91 is such a great resource for us. Because it tells us to put our trust in Him who never fails. Who, when we are faithless, is always faithful. Who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And in that sense, you know, we, 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 we see uh, that we are to have this um, um, mentality because... The Word of God reminds us that we have this great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. And in that, we hold fast to our confession of faith because we have a high priest who is not unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So let us, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You know, that's really why uh, we have this favorite verse, isn't it? In Romans 8, 28, which we quote all the time. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. Look carefully at this verse. It does not say that all things are good. That's why when we face trials and troubles in life, you know, don't lose heart. Because the things may not look good. But in God's economy, all things work for good. That despite the difficulties when we place our trust in Him, we know that He is a God who hears and he is a God who answers. That the psalm points out when, you, when we call to God, God says, I will answer and I will be with you in trouble. I will rescue you. I will honor you. That's why we are reading the psalms. Why we will continually hope why we want to praise Him yet more and more. 
If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Whatever circumstance you may be going through or have gone through, I believe that you are here or you're listening to this sermon or you're hearing this word because God is speaking to you. And His promise remains true. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. We will be safe and secure in His arms of grace. Not on our terms, but on God's. And everything God provides is good. Even if it doesn't seem good from our perspective, even as it, it doesn't seem like it's pleasant, yet know that God is working His purposes out. All we need to do is to put our trust in Him, the one who is our refuge, who is our fortress, the one in whom we can trust. And we pray, Father God, we thank You that You are a God whose promises are yes and amen in Jesus Christ. We thank You that You tell us that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that as we look to the past and see how you have worked, not only in the great plan of salvation for his, uh, in history, but also in each and every one of our individual lives, how you have been gracious to us time and time again in ways big and small. Lord, I pray that you give us the faith to continue to put our hope in you, to trust in you despite our circumstances, to take our eyes off the wind and the waves and to look firmly at Jesus, the one who began us on this path and who will bring it to completion in the day that he has purposed it for. I pray, Lord, that you give us the eyes of faith to see your deliverance the hearts that would wait patiently for your work and your will to be done here on earth as it is in heaven. And that, Lord, our mouths and our lives will, be, uh, will rise up to you continually in praise more and more each day. Thank you, Lord. We ask and we pray all these things in our sons, your Son's most precious name and all God's people say. Amen.